0: Our first Bible reading today is from Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, it will be for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Our second reading is from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the 10th turquoise, the 11th jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life.
1: Thank you, Heather. I I can fix that. Fixed. Thank you, Heather. Great reading. Thank you, everyone. Great listening. Hey, got a question for you, and I think you know the answer to the first one. Highest point on the earth. Where is it? You're confident? Mount Everest. Yes, those who mumbled Mount Everest, you're right. Uh, Anyone ever been to the top of Mount Everest? You never know. No, I used to have this dream in my teens that someday I might go, I'll totally abandon that, have zero interest in going to a place so cold and tall and literally wants to kill me. I don't want to be there. Okay, let's go to the other side of the, the spectrum. Mount Everest is the highest, lowest place on the Earth's surface. Dry land, lowest place. Dead Sea, yeah. A little bit wet, but still, yes, the Dead Sea is... I sort of think of the Dead Sea as like the Earth's sump. It's like where the Dead Sea, it's, it's, a, it's a sea. Well, in that region... Uh, is the lowest place on earth. It's called Jericho. So the Dead Sea is lower, but Jericho is in that region. And uh, I was there about 11 years ago. And here's the weird thing. No one ever gets to the top of Mount Everest and go, sees a sign and goes, oh, I'm the highest place in the world. Well, I went to Jericho for different reasons and saw a sign that said, 300 metres below sea level, this is the lowest place on earth. And I went, oh, didn't realise. I've got this theory um, about Jericho because as I was there I learned something else about Jericho oldest known city in the world lowest and oldest my theory is that I reckon humanity some ancient humans must have just been want to go for a walk today sure they went for a walk camp for the night next day want to go for a walk today sure go for a walk camp of night, until eventually they woke up the next morning and someone said, want to go for a walk? And someone said, no, that would be uphill. (laughs) And so they settled and started the first city called Jericho. Now, here's the thing with Jericho. Um, When I was there, there were archaeologists actively working, and they're still working now, They've been working there for like a hundred years. They keep digging and digging, and they keep finding earlier and earlier civilizations. I think they found about 20 versions of the wall, 20 versions of civilization. And so I speculate that this might be how humanity kind of works. You walk downhill, you seek the most comfortable spot. Oh yeah, this looks all right. And then generation upon generation upon generation, we try to improve it. Right, Wall upon wall upon wall. Well, this place is not bad, let's make it better. This place is not bad, let's make it better. This place is not bad, let's make it better. And our tendency as humans is sometimes to put down roots where only tent pegs were required. This morning, as we're continuing the Finding Hope series, my big idea pushes us beyond a Jericho mentality. I don't want us to walk to the most comfortable space, keep trying to improve it and call that home. Instead, this morning, we're going to think about how we look beyond the now For the hope of home to look beyond now our time and circumstance to truly find the hope of home rather than find the greatest comfort and simply keep trying to make this spot better and better and better what if this spot was going to be renewed and that is the message of the scriptures that we are in a world that is in bondage to decay In a world that has a saviour, his name is Jesus, he will return from heaven and at his return he will bring heaven and earth together and renew all things and rather than just be rebuilding on the most comfortable spot we could find, there is a new heaven and a new earth where God's dwelling place will be with his people, that is our hope. Now this is the message in this series that I feel the least equipped to talk on because what can i say about a space that is beyond my imagination all week i've had that song i can only imagine in my head because the words are true i can only imagine but even my imagination seems to fall so i'm going to do my best to share some stuff from revelation and daniel this morning to give us a bit of this picture of what is to come but i confess to you now oh how short i will fall but let's see how we go Revelation 21 verse 1 opens with a picture as John who writes Revelation forecasts what he sees and again you can always send your questions in with the QR code there for next week. John looks and he says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and earth had passed away And there was no longer any sea. What a cruel twist of fate that Heather Marshall had to read this. Heather's a keen surfer. And she's thinking, no sea? Oof. I don't know if there's literally no sea. Because there are other parts in Revelation where there's a beautiful crystal sea. Now, I don't know how you surf on that either. Uh, Langdon, wherever you are, I don't know how you fish in that either. Or if fishing is kosher in heaven. I don't know how that works. Lots of things I can only imagine. But what I think is going on here is a bit of an explanation of what we might anticipate from the new creation. How is it different? Well, we're in a time-bound creation. Now we're going to move into an eternal one. When my kids ask me, how old will we be? I say, well, no old, because you'll be eternal. And they go, but, 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 but how old? And all I can say is, well, my doctrine lecturer at college said probably 25 he thought that's as good as our bodies get but he was just kidding it's no old it's an eternal body i don't know just trust it'll be good you get this idea of no sea. what's going on there well i wonder if in the in the biblical mind the sea is kind of a space of things that are churned up sometimes things that are demonic sometimes a dangerous trip Sometimes you might even think of, like in Genesis at the start, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. It's a bit of a chaos. It's a place that's not yet firm and found and known. I was careful to say the, the, the lowest part on the earth because, of course, there's much lower parts under the sea that we haven't explored. They say we know more about space than we do about under the ocean. But here is a place where... I guess the turmoil and the stirred up and the incompleteness is over. This is an image for us. So I reckon maybe you'll be surfing in heaven, Heather, I don't know. Ask Steve Dinning. He likes to surf too and he knows the Bible well. Steve, talk to Heather after but the image that we can be sure of is this is a place of completeness this is a place where it all comes together and it's working and as the passage continues we get three parts pictured in this new creation uh you'll see them on the screen there's a city verse two there's a community verse three and there's what i will call a culture verse four And it's actually the culture that maybe has got my attention and we'll spend more time in this morning. A culture of a holy people, verses 6 to 8, speak to. We spend, when we think about the new creation, what sort of questions do you ask? We tend to ask questions like, what will it be like? Will we be doing that? How will it be? But I wonder if this week if you're willing to meditate on these things, maybe a more fruitful question will be, what will I be like? What will we be like? Sometimes we imagine the same old me inheriting this wonderful place where nothing's wrecked. If the same old me was to inherit a place where nothing's wrecked, it gets wrecked the moment I turn up, because I'll wreck it. I'm a wrecker. What I think is beautiful is this idea that God is refining us and changing us, that not only will we come into a perfect place, but what will I be like, what will we be like, we will be a perfect people, a perfect culture, come together in a new space. I think, and I speculate, that God's kind of cagey in telling us too much about heaven and the new creation, because I'm not sure that it would appeal to all of our senses. Greg, just cover your ears for a moment. Band, you might want to cover your ears as well. Is anyone else nervous about singing holy, holy, holy forever? I mean, the music's good, but after a while, you want to take a seat and do some other things, have some notices? I don't know. Again, these are images, but I think God's been cagey because it's not just about me um, in the new creation, but a new me, a renewed me with a heart refined and tastes refined and a desire refined in a wonderful, perfect place. How wonderful to be renewed in that way. What do we know about this culture? Well, from what we can see here, this is a culture that centers on God's grace and provision. He said to me, it's done. We've heard those words before. where on the cross it's done and he says to the thirsty i'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life those who are victorious will inherit all of this the picture we're getting here is a culture what is culture culture is how people gather and what's at the center and at the center of this community is not the kind of dog eat dog you get what you earn the celebration of the self-made man what is at the center here is god god's grace and god's provision This is a space where people aren't striving, where people aren't trying, where people aren't boasting in themselves, but are so delighted and full that their God is at the centre and he provides for all their needs. I can't one-up you because God has just filled us all to the brim and all the glory is his. And the culture is just different like that. It's no longer about me. My sinfulness is gone. A delight that it's about him, his grace and his provision at the center. And who's going to be in this wonderful, glorious, God-centered, God's grace, God's provision where no one's thirsty or lacking culture? A victorious people. We're told here a victorious people will inherit this. But they're not a boastful victorious people. There are people who have been victorious because a victory has been given to them. What is the victory over the victory is over the things that have enslaved us in this time. A victory over sin. A victory over all our wickedness and evil. A victory over death. A victory over the evil one, the enemy. A victory over all things brought for us by Jesus. We come into this great, wonderful culture. And you know what it takes to create, create a great, wonderful culture like this? It takes judgment. Now sometimes we hear the word judgment and we don't get excited about it. We do not talk about that. Judgment is our hope. Judgment is a wonderful thing because in this verse, verse 8, there's a but. Do you see it? It's up there. Verse 8, but it says, in this space, there's going to be some who are like this, but there'll be none of that. It's a judgment. You can't have this refined holy culture. Unless God does a work of judgment and pulls out impurity, pulls out evil, pulls out wickedness, purifies and fixes. It requires judgment. And this has always been God's plan. Now I've been showing you the Jesus map over the last few weeks and I want to show you the Jesus map as forecast in the book of Daniel. Have a look at this. Daniel is going to flick back to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel speaks about what is to come. Verse 1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. What's Daniel talking about? Often we think, oh, there's this big battle to come. No, 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 no. The big battle has happened. This is Jesus, Jesus who came from heaven. In apocalyptic imagery described with Michael, the archangel who leads the armies of God, the great battle has happened where Jesus takes on death. Jesus takes on sin. Jesus takes on the realm of the underworld. This is sin, death, the demonic realm, all that is in rebellion to God and tarnishes our existence. Jesus has taken all of this on and what might have looked to the untrained eye like that crafty carpenter from Nazareth who was an aspiring rabbi, oh, that's sad, he's dying on a cross. He is battling the battle of battles. And at his resurrection is the one sign, the one sign, the one sign of his victory, that he has overcome all of these things. We're given the other end of the spectrum. We're kind of like given the the, the spectrum here, chapter verse 1 and verse 2. At the other end of this time, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt there'll be a judgment at the end. And what do we do in the middle? Well, in the middle time, let's just go back one slide. Thanks, Philip. In the middle, verse three. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heavens. Those who lead many to righteousness. Now is the time for leading one another and others to righteousness. And when you do that, you shine like stars forever and ever. You see, there was... Maybe I can explain this in a different way with another battle that happened. There was a great battle about a month ago. Many, many Australians gathered around their computer screens. Some had multiple computer screens as they battled for Taylor Swift tickets. And some were victorious. And some of the nations grieved as they missed out. I've got to tell you, the battle is either won or lost. And it happened about a month ago. Now, I'm not that big a swifty. I don't care. I got all the tickets I wanted. Fat zero. Don't mind. I just don't want to go. Um, anyway, there will come a time where the concert will happen and people will front up to the door. And the result of that battle back then will tell you whether or not you're going in. Same deal, same deal. The battle has happened. The sentence awaits. And what Daniel tells us on the next slide is that at this time when the sentencing happens, some will inherit eternal life and a space in the new creation with God. And some will awake to eternal contempt this judgment will happen let me let that sit with you for a moment this is god's promise you can't have the end time perfect creation without the judgment some to eternal life some to eternal contempt How do we prepare? Well, you know how to prepare. How do we be found righteous? How do we be found like those who secured Taylor Swift tickets going into the concert? Secure the ticket. How do you secure your ticket? How do you be found an inheritor of eternal life? Trust in Jesus and the battle that he has decisively won. Here's another bit where we get confused in some of the Bible's uh, interesting language. is this concept of Armageddon. I'm sure you've heard of it. And many, particularly Hollywood, think of Armageddon as this great battle to come. No, it's happened. Have you ever thought about where this language even comes from? It's got geographic origins. Again, we've got to go to Israel. There's a place called Megiddo. It's in the Jezreel Valley. Now, Megiddo is really important. In fact, Like Jericho is the oldest city, Megiddo is the site of the oldest ever battles. Now Megiddo is kind of this tract that runs in the uh, Mount Carmel range. And it was said, so David fought there, Saul fought there, the Anzacs have fought there. Everybody has fought at Megiddo. It's very important because it's a strategic passageway that if you want to have the land of Canaan, which was the promised inheritance to God's people... You've got to come through Megiddo. You will have to win the battle at Megiddo. Now, at Megiddo, there's a mound where they've built a city. It's called a ha or a tel. It's called a ha, and that's where we get the language of the ha of Megiddo. Ha Megiddo, translated Armageddon. Now, it was known that to secure the land... To come into God's inheritance, you must win the battle of battles that happens at Megiddo. Do not underestimate what Jesus has done at at the cross and at the empty tomb. There is your Armageddon. There is your battle of battles, where Jesus Christ took on death, sin, the devil, all the enemy. And arose victorious. There is nothing left for him to prove. He secured the tickets for all who trust in him, and all who trust in him inherit eternal life. The battle is won by Jesus. So how do we be found righteous? How do we ensure that we are inheritors of life? Simply trust in Jesus that the battle is won. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then you're saved, then you're justified, then you have a ticket, then you are counted as an inheritor of life, then your book, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. That's how you be found righteous. How do you shine like a star in this time? How do you live as righteous? Tell everyone else where to find out. Tell everybody else about Jesus, that his resurrection is the only hope for the last day. How do you live as righteous? Follow the Saviour. What does that mean? Well, it means Jesus has made us righteous. He's declared us righteous. So let us live as righteous. That means when we come to Revelation 21... And we read that big but in verse 8. We walk with the Saviour, and so we don't walk as cowards. We replace being unbelieving with faith. We renounce vileness. We don't murder either with our hands or in our hearts. We flee sexual immorality, not just with our bodies, but with our minds. And we do not affirm what is not of God. We don't practice magic arts, not even the tarot cards, not even astrology. We flee that stuff. We don't make good things, ultimate things. We give up the idolatry and the lies, both big, naughty lies and the white lies. We say goodbye to those, for our Saviour has rescued us to something new and give us, given us a victory. So we walk victoriously with Him. We repent in mind and in manner. We go with the Saviour. That's how we live as righteous. This is an amazing new culture that Jesus is creating. Not just a new place to go, but a new me there. And he's declared me that new me already. And by his spirit, he's reforming and reshaping and purifying me that I will walk perfectly in that time. And you too. And where is he taking us? Well, it's not just a new culture. It's a new city, a holy city, verses 9 to 22 described for us. This is a city that's described in verse 9 as coming down like a bride. This is not just about a perfect you, again, playing a harp on a cloud. This is a physical space. You'll have a physical body. You'll be in a physical world, a new heaven and a new earth, a city that Jesus considers precious. Man, this place is decorated like barachi's house it's just got jewels and stuff you can't imagine it's kind of a bit gross in a way if i can say that but the idea is that it's precious and beautiful and wonderful and it's a bride for the lamb that is he is uniting himself with this place forever this is not like the kingdom of israel where under david it went well under solomon it went well for a while and then it collapsed this is a forever space a forever place this is the city of God this is a place that is secure with walls that have ridiculous dimensions around us not like Israel that fell over that Nebuchadnezzar's armies could storm and take away this is the place that is secure forever for God and his people And what is wonderful about this place, look at verses 12 to 14. It's got this great high wall. It's got 12 gates with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates are written the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is Israel's space. But further, there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Do you see what's going on here? This is a space where not just Israel dwell but all people who trust in the Lamb, who trust in Jesus, who confess that Jesus won the battle, all of us dwell, Jew and Gentile together. So much more than the kingdom of David ever was going to be. And do you see what's happening? North, east, west, south. Just like we learn in Matthew that he will send them to the four winds, baptizing all nations. This is a place inclusive of all nations, of all people, of all who trust in Jesus. He is the centralizing thing. What What is the great thing in this city is that this is not a city built by geography. This is a city built by the Lamb. This is a city built by the people who trust in him. It's what brings them together. And so their national anthem is the gospel. He is risen. He is risen. They sing together. That's where they are. And they are a new community. A new way of dwelling together. The last bit, verse 22 to 27. It's a holy dwelling place. So John looks around and he says in verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city. Well, what's a religion without a temple or a church or a something? The temple was always the place for what? It was said to be the spot where God would dwell with his people. Before anyone gets worried, John continues, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God is dwelling right there with his people. He is with them and so there is no need for any physical representation. He is there. This is a community together with their God. And the gates, there are lots of gates, but the gates are actually open because there's no threats. There's nothing that's coming against this heavenly place, which is so interesting. I'm just thinking, you know when Jesus, one of my favorite verses, I often pray it before church, where Jesus says, uh, after Peter confesses him the Christ, he says, yeah, I am the Christ, um, and I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I think of this trembling little place called the Gates of Hades where people are lost and hell-bound and the guards of Hades locking up the gates, terrified, oh no, people are going to get rescued from hell for heaven. But God's church smashes into those gates and rescues people from hell for heaven and shines like stars. And I love that image. And here we have the picture of the eternal creation of God gates open nothing to worry about because nothing is storming heaven no one's getting stolen no one's going to be lost this is God's space where he dwells with his people and they dwell secure all of God's people And I love, verses 26 to 27 continue on, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into us. Again, Jew and Gentile, but I love this idea of it's like the best without the rest. What I mean by that is, you know, when you go to a really good food court or some kind of an international food market or like the World Missions Conference dinner maybe, and there's like all these different flavors and things you haven't tried before. And ooh, that's yummy. And ooh, that's yummy. And you experience all these wonderful things that blow your mind. Imagine a space where there are wonderful things from all around the world blowing your mind without the conflict of the different cultures that have sometimes warred together. What a beautiful eternity where God continues to show you the splendor of all that he has created without the distortions that have sometimes come along the best without the rest. And this is the inheritance. There'll be nothing impure there. Nothing impure will enter it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful for the people of God would have been perfected. Who are the people of God? The ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so if your question is, how do I know if my name is written in the Lamb's book of life? I'll ask you a simpler question what do you say of Jesus if you confess him as Lord and continue to do so then be assured you only do that because your name is written in the book of life and you who are dead in sin and transgression God has made alive in Christ because he checked the role saw your name and revealed Christ to you so you want to know if your name is in the book What do you say of Jesus? Confess him Lord, walk with him, and know your name is written in the book. Changed and perfected. And so this morning, my encouragement to us, in a sermon that I felt completely ill-equipped to speak into, and still do, is to look beyond the Jericho to look beyond heading downhill to the most comfy space and thinking, what can we do to make this better and better and better and better? But instead, to look beyond now for the hope of home and to make your daily prayer, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for his decisive victory over sin, death, and the demonic realm. We thank you for his promised return where he will bring heaven and earth together. There'll be no sea because all things will be perfected and completed. We thank you that we have our ticket in pocket if we've simply trusted in him and confess him, Lord. And so, Father, keep us living in anticipation and certainty of this wonderful hope that awaits. Thank you for a new creation. Thank you for a new city thank you for a community with one another and with you and thank you for a new culture where you are at the center and your grace feeds us day by day we pray this in jesus name amen